Whoa. Whoa. So, yeah, you do. You've given away hundreds of them, and, and I don't have one for you. I know. We keep forgetting the Oh, that's funny. So, so a 5K equals 3.1 miles. And uh, uh, so, my my point here is uh, there's, there's different ways of measuring the same thing, right? And uh, so, so let, as we're turning to Jeremiah chapter 11, so, somebody read uh, verse 1 and 2 for us. <clears throat> Caleb, I'm just going to pick on you first thing. You read verse 1 and 2 for us. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Hear ye the words of this covenant, and speak unto the men of Judah, and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Right, so he's uh, <clears throat> hear ye the words of this covenant, and uh, wh- what do you think? What covenant might he be talking about? Palestinian covenant. You think it's the Palestinian covenant? And uh, I guess I was thinking it was the Mosaic covenant. Is that a little different? Uh, same thing. Deuteronomy twenty-eight. Okay. So if you look at your handout, let me see if I got, trying to get coordinated here, see if I've got my handout, okay, I've got my handout. So here in the verses that uh, Caleb read for us, Jeremiah, uh, the word of the Lord is telling him that uh, Israel, Judah, I need you to hear the words of of God's covenant. And I I wanted to uh, split away from the text and just talk about a covenant for a minute. I gave you a definition on your handout. Did did everybody get a handout? I think I made enough. But it it says a covenant, and Jim went over this uh, last week. You know, we we talk about the marriage covenant. We we, we use that in, in some of our vernacular even. But it's an agreement or contract between men or between God and man. And it's based on certain conditions that are agreed upon. So when you take your vows at, 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 a, at a marriage, you know, you're entering into the, uh, a covenant with your spouse. And uh, in the Bible, there's, uh, and, and I am not an expert on these, but there are some conditional covenants and some unconditional covenants. <clears throat> and Jim mentioned one. Uh, and so I gave you a blank, and the word that goes in your blank is just the word covenant. Uh, C-O-V-E-N-A-N-T it's in it's in your Bible there so just the word covenant and and the reason the reason I mentioned the reason I mentioned this here is that um, if we were to draw a timeline and let's say this is Revelation 22 this is the end of our Bible and this is the uh, the beginning of our Bible. <clears throat> so we have these sixty six books of our Bible that cover uh, all of all of history, and uh, there's different ways of measuring 
gen you, you can measure it in years or in time. Uh, uh, around here, a lot of times you hear about dispensations. We hear about uh, Adam and Eve in the garden, and and uh, sometimes it's called the uh, age of innocence. Uh, but there's also a way of measuring time with covenants. That's kind of my point here, is that uh, there's an Edenic covenant uh, with God and man and in the garden. And uh, really the, the new covenant kind of finish, and we'll talk about the new covenant when we get to Jeremiah 31. But uh, my point is just that there's different ways of measuring the same thing. We, we talk about miles here, and, and in other countries they talk about kilometers. And um, so that's just kind of my example. But uh, anyway, th- this thing about uh, covenants... Look uh, in your Bibles, if if you can, to 2 Kings 23. Let's look at this for a second. So be turning to 2 Kings 23. <clears throat> and so there, there's these uh, covenants, this uh, in the Garden of Eden. And there's... There's covenants that cover this whole time here. And we said this last one would be like the new covenant. That's not very good. Yeah, yeah, if you can save your place in Jeremiah. But in 2 Kings 23, this was kind of important. See if I can find it too. Is it the first uh, three verses? Yeah. Yeah, Jim, why don't you read the first three verses of 2 Kings 23? All right. And the king sent, and they gathered unto him all the elders of Judah and of Jerusalem. And the king went up into the house of the Lord, and all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with him, and the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their ears all the words of the book of the covenant, which was found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all their heart, with all their soul, to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. And all the people stood to the covenant. All right. So these covenants... Uh, back in Eden with Adam and Eve and then there this second one was kind of after the fall it's called the Adamic covenant and then there was with Noah and the flood and then uh, that's not the way you spell Moses yes turn a little bit and so uh, under Moses he's famous for what? what is he famous for? yeah the ten commandments and and bringing them up out of Egypt and giving them the law right? and so that's what I in your table there I gave you these uh, uh, Eden uh, Adam Noah and the Mosaic covenant was your blank in your little box there 
Because what Jim read was was uh, when 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 Israel uh, went went into captivity, and uh, what he read from Second Kings that that was a guy named Josiah. He was uh, a little bit before Jeremiah here, and. Uh, Josiah, he he renewed this Mosaic covenant. They, they read this in the ears of the people, and uh, and Josiah said, you know, God willing, I'm going to keep the words of this covenant. And all the people agreed, both small and great. Yes, Josiah, you know, you're the anointed king. Uh, Jehovah God is God. We we want to be his people and follow his word. And so we agree with this covenant. <clears throat> and so they enter into this, they kind of uh, refer, refresh or revise the covenant under Josiah. And... Uh, and you, you know God protected them for that. They were spared from going into captivity. Uh, things were looking pretty bleak even that, at that time. And so there's kind of a national revival there with Josiah. And so I guess that's what I like. Uh, I want for our class, for uh, this church is, you know, the rest of the country and the world is kind of going to hell in a handbasket, isn't it? But I, I believe if we will uh, trust God and trust his word and just agree with him God you're right we're a sinful people you know we we believe you we want to follow you that God will protect us and he'll put uh, I, I heard one of our missionaries say this the other day and I think it was like in the context of transporting Bibles he's like God you know you know a lot of countries still outlaw the Bible and uh, yeah, even like China, the world's largest country, the, with the most people, they outlaw the Bible. Over a billion people, it's illegal for them to have a Bible. There's, I think there's close to 30 countries out of, uh, there's almost 200 countries in the world, 195 that I know of, and almost 30 of them outlaw the Bible. It's illegal to have a Bible. <clears throat> and so this missionary was just saying, you know, God... As we bring these Bibles in, just make us invisible to the authorities. He said something like that, and I've actually prayed that a time or two. Lord, you know, hide this from, you know, just help protect this. Uh, And so, uh, anyway, God did that for Josiah. God's like, you know, judgment's still coming on the nation of Israel, but Josiah, it's not going to happen in your day because I'm going to protect you. And I believe it's because they agreed and they revised and they had a revival of sorts in uh, in Judah at this time. So, so go back to uh, Jeremiah now, chapter 11. We're going to try to go through the whole chapter today. <clears throat> and uh, so that's... Uh, kind of the, the first few verses and somebody read verses 3 and 4 it talks about the covenant again and say thou unto them thus saith the Lord God of Israel cursed be the man that obeyeth not the words of this covenant which I commanded your fathers in the day that I brought them forth out of the land of Egypt from the iron furnace saying obey my voice and do them according to all which I command you Okay. 
question. So shall ye be my people, oh. and I will be your God. Sorry, yeah, I okay. don't have my glasses on. <laughs> so there, there was, in, in verse 2 that she read, there was a curse for not obeying the words of the covenant. And uh, he reminds him that I brought you out of Egypt, and it, it calls it an iron furnace. And what? That's kind of descriptive. What do you think that means, an iron furnace? It's calling Egypt an iron furnace. It was bad. What? It was massive. Massive, Egypt. And the iron furnace. It was pretty. It was hmm. big and it was strong and it was real. And heated. Yeah. And so the the thing I was reading this week just said that it, it was it was their place of bondage. I mean, you know, when people are shackled, they're in irons. And but but yeah, like uh, furnace. It, it was hot. But uh, so I think it's a reference to their bondage in Egypt. And and God is reminding them, I brought you out of Egypt. And it says there at the end that uh, ye shall be my people and I will be your God. And th- that little phrase is repeated a few times in the Bible. And it's even in the New Testament. And, and I like that, that uh, because God wants to be our Father and He wants us to be His people. And that's just a, a great uh, promise there that He, that he gives. But uh, it's in Deuter- it's in Deuteronomy 28, and we, we won't take time to go there. But he goes down through it. Uh, it's a long chapter. It's like 40, 50 verses. But it's like if you'll obey my words and hear my voice, you know you're going to be blessed in the morning. You're going to be blessed in the field. Your children are going to be blessed. And and then the last. Over half of the chapter is like, if you fail to obey my verse, you know your children are going to be cursed, your land's going to be cursed, your houses are going to be cursed, your enemies are going to capture you, and it's just like. So as we're reading this, I think of the Mosaic Law, and there's blessings and curses associated with the law. <clears throat> And then he goes down in uh, verses 5 and 6. In verse 5, it it calls uh, the land of Israel something. What does it say in verse 5? What does it call the land of Israel? Yeah, the land flowing with milk and honey. And over 15 times in the law... It calls Israel the land of milk and honey. And uh, let's hold our place here and look at Ezekiel chapter 20. This is the last time it's mentioned. It's the very next book over, Ezekiel 20. Morning, Pam. I got a hand out there if you don't have one. Maybe. I had 18 or 20. I may not have had enough. We had a big class this morning. Belinda, do you have that? Uh, the Ezekiel 20, verse 6. In, that, in the day that I just put my hand unto them and to bring them forth of the land of Egypt and the land that I had despised to them. 
flowing with milk and honey, which is the glory of all lands. Yeah, and jump down and read verse 15 also, the same chapter. Yet also I lifted up my hand unto them in the wilderness, that I would not bring them into the land which I had given them, flowing with milk and honey, which is the glory of all lands. Now, I couldn't find all my references this morning. Uh, I think there's a reference in Proverbs about about uh, honey. I mean, honey is connected with the Word of God. I know that. Uh, but what do you think of when you think of a land of milk and honey? Rich, rich land. Yeah. Yeah, almost a paradise. It's very rich. And uh, so almost 20 times in our Bible, but 15 of those times is in what we call the Pentateuch or the law. And uh, so anyway, this is just a great promise that was given to Abraham and his descendants <clears throat> that they would uh, inherit this land forever. And uh, I, I got the chance uh, a little less than two years ago to go to Israel. And it, it's a very unique land. <clears throat> and, and I kind of, this is probably not a good comparison, I kind of compare it to California. Because it kind of has it all. It's got the Mediterranean Sea, the beautiful waters like the beaches, and it's uh, very lush in places. It, it, it was kind of unlike I expected, but uh, so they do a lot of irrigation. It, it's very fruitful. Uh, but then, but then it's also got desert places. You know, California has like the the the, the dead Death Valley. Death Valley. And uh, so I, I kind of connect Israel a little bit like California. And but uh, anyway, it, it, even to this day, it's very rich. But uh, there's even prophecies in the Bible that God will restore, like the Dead Sea. They think that's where Sodom and Gomorrah was uh, destroyed with fire and brimstone of the Lord. And they, they, there's predictions in the Bible that that'll be green again. And uh, so truly, uh, literally, <clears throat> it's, it's a land of milk and honey even now, but it, even uh, when the Lord returns, he's going to replenish those things. Were, were you going to say something else? <clears throat> so anyway, this, anyway, this is something that the Jews are very uh, proud of, obviously, their, their homeland. And uh, so their need is to obey God's voice and receive blessing from him and be uh, his people so he will be their God and uh, just agree with that covenant. <clears throat> and so look, read verse 8 because there's a word in verse 8 that goes in your blank. And uh, who's got that? Our, Sarah, our daughter? Yep. Yes, uh, which one? Verse 8? Yeah. Yet they obeyed not, nor inclined their ear, but walked everyone in the imagination of their evil heart. Therefore I will bring upon them all the words of this covenant, which I commanded them to do, but they did them not. And... So the word I have you put in your blank is the word imagination. And you, you know, the in the Bible, the word imagination is in there, I think it's 13 times. It's either image or imagination. And almost every time, I think all except one, it's in a bad context. Because even here it says, they're walking in the imagination of their evil heart. 
And so th- this kind of goes along with, uh, in Jeremiah 17, it says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So it... it Actually, this week I, I kind of perked up. If if I said this pastor's name, you would probably know him. But his whole sermon was on how you need to follow your heart, and I kind of cringed. I was just kind of like, I kind of get what you're saying because he's trying to say, you know, you need to use your gifts and abilities for the Lord, and but he's saying to follow your heart, do what you want to do. And uh, it's kind of bad advice because we, we all have a deceitful heart. And it it's even says it's evil here. And uh, it, it can trick us. And so we need to follow the Lord and His Word above what we think or feel. And so the word imagination went in your blank there. And you know, that, that the very, does anybody know the first time that that word appears in your Bible? It's with Noah and the flood. It says that the imaginations of their heart was only evil continually. It's like they didn't have any good thoughts or no good imagination. The thoughts of their heart was only evil continually. And God said, therefore, I'm going to destroy the earth with water except for Noah and his house because Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, Just like Josiah we read about and God protected him and his family. And so, uh, anyway, in verses 9 and 10, uh, Judah kind of conspires against the Lord, and they turn back. But now in verses verses 11 through 17, uh, Jeremiah 11, 11. Uh, somebody read that for, for us, if they will. 11, 11. Therefore saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring evil upon them, which they shall not be able to escape. And though they shall cry unto me, I will not hearken unto them. Then shall the cities of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem go and cry unto the gods unto whom they offer incense. They shall not save them at all in the time of their trouble. Yeah, that's, that's good. Uh, I'm glad you read the 12, 11 and 12. <clears throat> because in verse 11, he's saying <clears throat> that he is going to bring... It, it's too late. It's like the evil's coming against you. And it says, even though they cry unto me, I will not hearken to them. So God hears their prayers, but he doesn't answer them. And so there's coming a time, this time of their trouble that God God kind of like you ever do that with your kids like la 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 I, I'm not listening you know, talk to the hand because I'm not listening let's get deeper in the water an addict that says I'm innocent mm. like an addict that you should do what they want to do and and then they get caught and get thrown in jail mm. like, I'm innocent I didn't blah 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 mm. Okay, I see what you're saying. So yeah, then it's too late, isn't it? Yeah, and so there's a point that it's too late. And so I like that it contrasts 11 and 12. Because in verse 12, what you read, it says uh, that they have the same amount of gods as they have cities. that They're into idolatry. And it says that they're uh, burning incense to Baal, this sun god. And so it's funny. 
they're, they're going to cry to to their gods who can't answer but at, at this point they've done so much wickedness that God uh, won't answer so God could answer but at some point he, he says you know no you've got to go through this punishment and that, that's what uh, Belinda's pointing out <clears throat> and so your, uh, your blank there is that they were totally given to idolatry the word idolatry this Baal worship and um, some of you uh, know that this this week was our national day of prayer, and uh, I, know, I heard uh, even some of our folks went to the courthouse in Harrisonville, and uh, there was prayer made. Did anybody in here go to that? Kelly Ranabarger and Teresa Gear said they were there. So a couple of our ladies on Friday night went and uh, said it was really good. And I noticed even our pastor, uh, Brian, um, I may just pull up this verse on the screen. Let me see if I can see how good I can do here. I use uh, this blue letter Bible. But it's in 2 Corinthians... Or, I'm sorry, Second Chronicles. And I'll make it bigger so maybe you can see it. It's, it's kind of a famous verse, and it, it's kind of our, our nation's uh, key verse for this National Day of Prayer. Yeah, if you can see that. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. And so this is a promise given to uh, Israel. But uh, that, that's a good prayer, isn't it? If, if uh, he says, if my people, so you know, we're we're God's people, we're Christians, we're saved, we're called by His name. That's what we're Christian. We're named after Christ. If we'll humble ourselves and we will pray, and we will seek His face and turn from from our wicked ways, God says. I'll hear that prayer and I will forgive their sin and I'll heal their land. And so that's just a good prayer, isn't it? It was the Solomon Temple, you know, the dedication was prayer was going on there. Is that for the dedication of the temple? He prayed, he starts out like... Oh, yeah. It's like three-chapter prayer. He starts out on his, on his feet and he ends up on his knees and it's just... And they sacrifice thousands of animals. Yeah. It's really cool. <laughs> Wow. It would be a good movie. <laughs> see it. It would be there. Yeah, it would be good to be there. Uh, so I, I thought we'd take a minute and uh, talk about prayer. We've got uh, a few minutes here. I, I put this together... Uh, 
a little while back. Ten reasons for not praying. <laughs> These are my top ten reasons for not praying. You know, David Letterman used to do those top ten reasons. That's cool. I don't know if you can see that very good. Can you read that, Sarah? You, from even from back there, that what's the first one? It says, "My flesh doesn't like it." There's no glory in praying. Ephesians six eighteen and Matthew six five Yeah, so there, you know, uh, typically, I mean, as I look around the room, I don't know any of your prayer life, what your prayer life's like, and and you don't know mine. Uh, a lot of times, I you know we can we can you can be praying right now. You can have a, a set time for prayer. You can have a prayer list, but typically it's not too too glorious. You know, you're not in front of anybody. Nobody's going to see it. Nobody's going to really know about it. So, um, so maybe that's uh, one reason why we don't pray. And that uh, Ephesians verse is is right after the armor of God. You know, put on the armor of God, and it says to praying always. Uh, and so we're to pray without ceasing. And so anyway, that uh, this next one it just says it takes time and effort to pray. And uh, most of us, if not all of us, are mostly undisciplined. We. You know, in our spare time, we do what we want to do, and and maybe because uh, it does take work to pray, doesn't it? You have to be intentional. It doesn't happen uh, without some effort. And then uh, maybe sometimes we don't really believe that God will answer our prayer, and, and yet God asks us to pray. And sometimes you wonder, well. Did my prayer even get above the ceiling? Does anybody hear? And so, I know even even like when God answers a prayer of mine, like I got to witness to my dad, and my dad became a Christian recently, awesome. and that was just it was just huge for me. It's like wow, God answered that prayer. I really didn't know if He would, you know. And it's like. Each time God answers a prayer, it's like I'm, I'm shocked all over again. It's like, wow, I didn't know if he was really listening. And maybe I didn't pray right. Or So sometimes we just don't know if he'll even uh, answer or we don't know if he hears us. And uh, let's look at the Psalm 145. Or You're a lot more likely to pray to when you're in trouble or something's mm-hmm. wrong. When things, yeah, are, yeah. Yeah. When things are going yeah. well. You do have to be more intentional. That's true. So my, my wife's saying this. We typically only pray maybe when we're in trouble. Like, oh, God, help me out of this mess, right? right. <laughs> but uh, I believe Psalm 145, verse 18 there, has a, a key that would help all of us have uh, more answered prayers. Uh, Pam Anderson, do you have that one? One forty-five, eighteen. One more thing. This is sticking together. They stuck together. Verse eighteen. Yeah. The Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon Him, 
to all that call upon him in truth. Yeah, so the Lord's nigh or near to all that call upon him, uh, to all them that call upon him in truth. So when, like, um, you know, the Holy Spirit is to reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. And so when we pray, you know, God help me witness to this person, that's a prayer God will answer because you're praying according to truth because the Holy Spirit wants to reprove and show people their sin so that they'll come to come to Christ for forgiveness. And so that uh, you know, there's cert- when we pray according to truth, those are the prayers that God will answer, right? Yes. And uh, and and I like that. Oh. And this next one goes with the passage. I should have put that verse. Does anybody off the top of their head know Psalm 66, 18? It's like, it's a memory verse from discipleship. Uh, it says, if, if I regard iniquity in mine heart, the Lord will not hear me. And so some people are nodding their head. So that's one of our memory verses. And so uh, maybe the reason we don't pray is if there's, that's what we're saying, these ten reasons for not praying, maybe there's sin in our life. And that's what God is telling uh, the people in Jeremiah's day. It's like you have as many gods as there are cities in, in, in Israel. And you're praying to the wrong God. So even when you call on me in trouble, I'm not going to answer because you, you, you really don't believe me and you're not following me. And so uh, he, he wants to help them. But in uh, that case, he, he's, he won't. And then this uh, this next one, number six, <clears throat> we're not truly thankful. Maybe that's the reason we don't pray, because usually prayer comes from a thankful, a great, grateful heart. And I think that's the story of the ten lepers. You remember God healed ten lepers, and only one came to give Him thanks. Uh, so, and and Jesus asked the guy, "Where's the other nine? And so. He he desires people to be thankful because uh, when we're when we're truly healed of uh, leprosy, the, the sin in our life, then we we are should be thankful people. And then number seven is kind of what Angie was talking about. Uh, maybe we feel like we're self sufficient; all our needs are met. And that's that's the church at Laodicea. They said, you know, we're rich and we're increasing goods. We have need of nothing. They're probably not a very prayerful people. And I was telling uh, someone on the, uh, I forget who I was telling, just how that they they've done studies, and I've I've saw the studies that. Uh, because I used to be in a church in Overland Park, and, and Overland Park, I think is, I, I heard it's the it's the second smartest city in America. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was only second to uh, I think it was Plano, Texas, or something like that. Uh, but there, Overland Park is like the second most educated city in the United States. And uh, the study that was done there is that uh, percentage-wise, people in downtown Kansas City gave more of their money to the Lord. I think 
more of the inner city people gave like seven, three to seven percent of their money, and Overland Park was more like one or two percent of their money, something like that. And it was just kind of revealing of the heart. You know, you're wealthy. You know, you don't need God, and you certainly don't want to give Him your money. <clears throat> and um, I have a uh, a pretty rich relative, and my brother was able to witness to him. And uh, the rich relative of mine told my brother that, you know, if I become a Christian, he's going to want my money or something like that. I mean, he, he said that. It's like, wow. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. It was like that. This was an old rich guy, but... Uh, Anyway, somebody asked uh, John Rockefeller once how much money it takes to satisfy. And he he said a little bit more. (laughs) I thought that was pretty insightful. He might uh, think that. So that was number seven. Number eight is uh, we don't see the urgency in praying. So maybe we procrastinate. you know, I would just move to pray for Rodney and Gail just because he's crying. His wife's in the hospital today, and he's in there boo-hooing. You know, it's like, you know, I need to, I need to pray for that guy. <clears throat> uh, maybe we don't know how to pray as we ought. That's true of all of us. So I just kind of made up these and and tried to use scripture. But uh, Romans eight twenty six does say that we don't know how to pray as we ought, but the Holy Spirit maketh utterances which cannot be uttered. So a lot of time, even though we just pray, you know, God help me, that the Holy Spirit interprets that like God, this is what he or she needs. And uh, so anyway, some of those prayers of desperations are, are maybe some of the best, but. And then the last one here I put, we don't think it's important. It's not a priority. We don't uh, value it or we don't think it'll make a difference. And uh, this James 5.16, let's turn there. Uh, let's look at this last one. And uh, some of you know this, uh, James 5.16. But somebody told me this this morning. Is why I, I want us to look at it. I thought it was cool. <clears throat> I've been in contact with a, a church in Zambia. He kind of befriended me on Facebook, and and he called me this morning. It's uh, I think it's six hours different there. And James five sixteen says this: uh, Confess your faults one to another. And pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And uh, that, that's what the pastor in Zambia told me. You know, he, he, he said something like, We're praying fervently for you. And uh, he says, uh, You know, we hope that you can come see us one day. And I don't know if that'll ever happen, but. Anyway, uh, he said, we're praying fervently for you. He used that word. And what, what does that word mean? Consistently. Often. Often, consistently. Unceasing. Unceasing. Also, what is the word? Hard. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, it, and it, uh, it has to do with heat, like a fervent. It's a heated, like, oh, God, you know, this is very important to me. And 
And so, uh, anyway, it says that that righteous, a fervent prayer of a righteous man, it availeth much. And and so it, it can and will make a difference. And so we do need to pray fervently for one another. And uh, it even mentions healing there. <clears throat> And, uh, and and God God can do that. And then uh, just kind of back to our handout in, in verse sixteen in Jeremiah. So that was any other thoughts on on prayer? I mean, I'm sure there's other things about prayer and reasons we may have for not praying, or we could talk about prayer a long time. But those are just kind of some. Thought, uh, things that help us uh, be mindful of it. Yes, he did. Um, that, that's a good. That's a good comment. That was a very fervent prayer, wasn't it? That he uh, cried. Uh, even sweat drops of blood. I think is where that is mentioned at in his prayer in Gethsemane. <clears throat> Yeah. My experience when I'm having a hard time praying is, I, you know, I lie to myself, I deceive myself, mm. and then I try to go to God with it, and I'll try to pray, huh. it's just not happening, huh. and I'm like, oh, just never mind, forget it, because he knows I'm lying. <laughs> <laughs> he knows I don't need what I'm saying. He knows I'm asking for the wrong reason. Yeah. So it's like, I just forget it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty real. That's pretty raw right yeah. there, Pam. That's good. Uh, We've all been there, I think, sometimes. Yeah. It's like I'm praying for this person, but I don't like him very good. <laughs> That's probably not a too heartfelt. When verse 16, back in Jeremiah 11, it mentions... Uh, the Lord called thy name a green olive tree, fair and of goodly fruit, with the noise of a great tumult, he hath kindled fire upon it, and branches of it are broken. And uh, so your your blanks there at the on the top of your back page was just the word olive tree. Now, I was gonna draw a picture. Um, let me see if I can uh, bring this up here this is kind of a famous passage in Romans chapter 11 And it really goes with what we're saying here in Jeremiah 11. So this is in our New Testament. And in verse 16 there, For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. And then it says in verse 17, and if some of the branches be broken off, and thou, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree, 
Boast not thy against the branches, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. <coughs> and uh, let, let's read this before we comment on it. Verse 19. Thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off, that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief they were broken off, and thou standest by faith, be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spare not the natural branches, take heed, lest he also spare not thee. And then he says, Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fell severity, but toward thee goodness, if thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shalt be cut off. And they also, if they abide not, still in unbelief, shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in. And so I don't know if you caught it, but in verse 17, this is a reference to the church. In the Old Testament there, we just read that God called Judah an olive tree. And when we were in Israel, uh, olive trees are one of the most popular and and, uh, even... uh, Belinda, you mentioned Gethsemane. Uh, Gethsemane is on the Mount of Olives. It's uh, Mount, the Mount of Olives. And so there's olive trees in this Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, Israel is likened to them. And there's, there's a sweetness and a purity. And olive oil is very rich. <clears throat> but it, uh, it's said there in Jeremiah that the branches of it are broken and you can imagine you know branches getting broken off a tree in a windstorm or whatever and uh, I think Jim may have you guys have may have even done this that you've grafted you've grafted something back on I think we do it maybe to cross pollinate or do some different but uh, you can imagine so the if the root and the tree, you know, Jesus said, I am the true vine. There, So Jesus is like the root, and it's alive, and, and Israel was like this olive tree with some broken branches. And God is saying in Romans here that a wild olive tree is going to get grafted in. So the Gentiles are like the wild olives, and they're being grafted in to the true the true vine and the root of Jesse, as Jesus is called. <clears throat> is that uh, kind of how you guys see some of that? And, <clears throat> and so it, it's giving life to uh, the branches and... Uh, Anyway, it's just a great, a great picture. But back in Jeremiah's time, the branches were being broken off because God won't hear their prayer, and they're in their time of trouble <coughs> coming up. So let, let's go back to. We got about ten minutes. Let's go back to Jeremiah chapter ten or eleven. <coughs> I'm kind of hoarse. <coughs> I think I'm talking too much. Um. This last section of Jeremiah 11 is really uh, pretty sad. Uh, Somebody read verse 19. This is talking about Jeremiah. Eleven nineteen. Yeah. 
I was like a lamb or an ox that is brought to the slaughter, and I knew not that they had devised devices against me, saying, Let us destroy the tree with the fruit thereof, and let us cut him off from the land of the living, that his name may be no more remembered. And so that sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? That he was like a lamb to the slaughter. And then this uh, this word is in verse is in verse uh, twenty one. This is what I was going to have you put in your blank. This is actually the town where Jeremiah is from, uh, Ananoth. <clears throat> and and what 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 Caleb read there is uh, Jeremiah felt like he's this lamb that's getting ready to be slaughtered, and the people from his own town are the ones that are doing it. It's like Jeremiah is prophesying, you know, Judah, you need to turn, you need to turn to God, and he's being this prophet of the Lord, and uh, his. The people of his own hometown want to kill him for it, and uh, so so they actually they actually have a plot to kill him. And he says in verse twenty, "But O Lord of hosts, that judgest righteously, that uh, triest the reins and the heart, let me see thy vengeance on them, for they." For unto thee have I revealed my cause. So he's actually kind of praying against them. He's like, God, you, you know the heart. You try the reins. <clears throat> and uh, you need to... Because uh, he, he now sees that they're trying to kill him. In verse 21, uh, Therefore, thus saith the Lord of the men of Ananoth, that seek thy life, saying... Prophesy not in the name of the Lord that thou die not by our hand. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will punish them. The young men shall die by the sword, and their sons and their daughters shall die by famine. And there shall be no remnant of them, for I will bring evil upon the men of Ananoth, even the year of their visitation. So it's like these people are plotting to kill Jeremiah, but God is plotting against them, and he's going to uh, destroy them because they're trying to kill his, uh, his prophet. So uh, for us, uh, my teaching point here, and this, this will be the last thing. We'll, uh, in fact, I'm, I'm right here in Romans on my computer. I'll, uh, I'll pull up chapter 12. <clears throat> Because, you know, the Bible says, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. And that's what it says right here at the end of Romans 12. He says in verse 17, To recompense no man evil for evil, provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. So we are to be peacemakers, and as much as possible to live peaceably with all men. And then it says, verse 19, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. And it ends with, Be not overcome of evil, 
but overcome evil with good. And uh, I know you said amen there. Uh, Edward, are you thinking of something in particular? That's been your heart? That's been my heart, yeah, for, I'd say it took a while for God to get me there, but at least for a good five years now, that's been my heart. I've actually had moments where by feeding my enemy, they became my friend. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, I, I've done that a time or two. You, you do you, you uh, feed or give drink. You, you do something good for people that you're having a hard time liking, or you know they don't like you. And God will bless that, won't He? Yep. That's good. Even just taking away those harsh feelings that you have towards them, even if that's all that happens. Hmm. I've had, I've experienced that. Mm-hmm. Just accepting it. Yeah. Friendship or a kindness of yeah. some. Yeah. There's a fine line in there with, like, for me, I, you know, I have forgiven and fed enemy because I was supposed to. Hmm. Okay, so you do that, but then when you realize that it's not even about, it's not about me, it's not about them, it's hmm. about honoring God and loving God hmm. enough to obey. And so the blessings are like there and mm. that mm. and then the enemy is blessed or cursed, mm. you know, God will do whatever it takes to bring them yeah. to so you know Yeah, even if he doesn't bring you together, the blessing is doing the right thing and it's it's a relief and you'll true. receive a blessing somewhere in your life greater than what you put out. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. I have. You know, one of the hardest things for me, uh, <clears throat> and, and Rand, Randy Foster helped me with this, because a- after this happened, Randy said, you know, Steve, not everybody's going to like you. And, you know, we all want to be liked. And that was actually a growing thing for me, because uh, one of our students had to go to jail, and, and I... <laughs> This is funny how God worked in this situation. Uh, so most of you know I'm the re- recovery pastor. I'm uh, the leader of our Life Issues Addiction Recovery Group. And one of our students was going to jail the next week. And, and I told the guy, I said, you know, sir, you just don't seem very repentant. I mean, he, he told the whole group, this is what I did. And then he thought, you know, the judge was mean because he could have to go to jail and and when he went to court the next week, the judge told him the same thing I said. He's, the judge said, you know, you're not very repentant. And our student thought that I talked to the judge. And I didn't. So he told his mom. So his mom writes me this letter that our church is praying for you to be removed from being a pastor and it's like there's this whole church now that hates my guts because they think I talked to the judge about this guy and I didn't and so that was that was a hard thing for me it's like I couldn't fix it you know and the guy actually called me from jail and he, he said I know you didn't talk to him and so he was cool with it but it was kind of already out that his wife hated me his mom hated me and uh, it was just bad but anyway it, it kind of worked out and 
I'm still pastor, so I'm glad. God didn't answer that. God didn't answer their prayer on that. That's the addiction in his, on his behalf. That's mm-hmm. him living in the flesh still. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's him living in the flesh still. It's not your mistake or your error. Mm-hmm. I'm glad people seeing the, the rightness in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and, time proved it out, but at the time yeah. it was devastating. Yeah, yeah and it's I mean, a devastating yeah. thing. Yeah. It's yeah. Very, yeah. Yeah. It's very unfair. Oh, you're going to say something, Ed? Can I say one more thing? Yeah. Even, even as, a, as a new believer, when I still had a little, was harboring a little bit of bitterness, leftover bitterness towards uh, my enemies, um, the, the part in 1220 where it says um, that I'm having trouble reading it. In doing so. Uh, yeah, he parts. Yeah, calls a fire on his head. I'm like, yeah, being kind to people, being kind to my enemies, yeah. like keeping cold yeah. on their head. Yeah. God's gonna get him. I'm gonna be nice. The old days, fire was how you cooked your food, how you kept your family warm, how you kept survived, and they needed those coals of fire. They didn't have that. Yeah. Form. They didn't have the Holy Spirit. They didn't have a piece of pie in their skin. Yeah. Yeah. But I used to think the same way you did about mm. that verse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, let's close in prayer. Thank you for your comments. Thank you for being here. We'll look at uh, Jeremiah 12 next week if you want to read over that. And uh, uh, Leo, Leo, brother, will you pray for us? Play, pray in Spanish so our brother can hear you. En las clases, Señor, gracias por los nuevos hermanos que han llegado este día. Gracias por todo, Padre. Le pedimos, Señor, que siempre los bendiga y los protejas, Padre. Y que la noche pasada llovió y es una bendición que haya llovido, Señor. Y que todo lo que tú dispongas es bueno para nosotros, Padre. Gracias por todo. Amén. Amen. Jesus name. Thank you for joining us on Facebook. And, uh, are you teaching today? Oh, yeah? Oh, God. We're going to baby and go with baby Okay. Um, we will be back next Sunday. All right.